how I got saved was in Sunday school in uh, uh, a mission church in Dover, Ohio, and uh, trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was in nine years old and uh, went to church there, and I, I'll never forget, uh, Sunday school teacher explained about uh, the crucifixion. It was Easter time. In fact, it was 60 years ago this past Easter. And uh, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm thankful I'm saved. You're looking at a happy camper. Uh, he saved me back then, and, and guess what? 60 years later, I'm still saved. Amen? And uh, thankful for that. He saves when he saves. He saves forever. It's good to be with you folks. Uh, we're, uh, uh, wow, so much to cover in such a little bit of time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm good for uh, until midnight, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure, you know, the clock, uh, they, sometimes they, they set it forward for me so that I uh, don't preach so long. But uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 24. Put your finger there and then go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. And uh, uh, again, Genesis chapter 24 and then Galatians uh, chapter 6. Uh, we are in the process of, of making a move. Uh, we, uh, I was just thinking, I think uh, it was back in 1974, the early spring of 74, that uh, I knew God was calling me into the ministry. So Genesis 24, and then go to Galatians, we'll read it first, chapter 6. But I knew God was calling me into the ministry, and uh, we were, my wife and I hadn't been married all that long. We got married, and I've told you the story before, those of you that familiar with it, the uh, day we got married, I got drafted, and then uh, uh, Uncle Sam decided to send me to Vietnam, so, uh, but I knew God called me. I knew that God had called me, but I hadn't made it public. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Farinelli, and I, I sort of talked about it. I talked to my preacher about it, talked to other people about it. Uh, then I had to go off to the war, and uh, when I came back from the war, uh, it took me a about a year to get over the things I'd experienced in the war. Uh, when I say get over it, you never get over it, and uh, it's something that you live with the rest of your days. But uh, I got to the place where, uh, you know, I, I quit beating myself up for what I had seen. There are things that are seen in battle that no one should have to see. And those of us that have to see it, we see it so that you don't have to. And uh, and we're left with that, and uh, for the life of me, I can't understand why Hollywood wants to bring it into our living rooms by making it so real on television that that we actually infect a generation of kids uh, and ourselves with uh, PTSD over the stuff that we see. There's so so much uh, uh, demented activity going on today, and... uh, but uh, wartime was, uh, was rough on me, and I got, but I got through it. God was good. I learned a lot of things, and God brought me through it. But I just hadn't made that commitment. And I want to talk about commitment in a way. I want to I talk about uh, uh, something that God's done for me that uh, made me realize that I need to give this one more go. And uh, we've started four churches, or three churches in our life. We started a church uh, right out of college. We went up to Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and started to work. We were there for uh, uh, 12 years. And during that period of time, I trained a Canadian fellow. He took over that work. And in 42 years, that church has known two pastors. 
myself and, and the young man I trade. He's not so young anymore. In fact, he's grayer than I am. I call him the young man with the old hair. But, uh, you know, the, uh, but he's, uh, he's still pastoring there and doing a great job, great job with the church there. And we came down to uh, Michigan. I headed up a Bible institute and a friend of mine's uh, Baptist church. And we were there for, for almost three years. And I trained some missionaries who are still on the field still out uh, serving the Lord on the field, and I'm thankful for that period of time. Then I had to get back into church planning. I went to Ohio, started a work over there, and that work is doing real good. There's a, a young man that's got that, and it's going on uh, just east of Cleveland, Grand River Baptist Church. And then we came out here eight years ago, almost nine years ago, and started the work down at Majesty Baptist. Boy, we're taking God's blessed. We've seen a young man trained there, and he's, uh, he's chomping at the bit to take over. And uh, Brother Drew, your pastor just preached at our conference down there. We had a great conference, and, uh, uh, and uh, Brother Drew got to preach to the preachers that came to the conference. And so we're thankful for that. And so we'll be turning over that work in July. Uh, July the 19th is something else that's happening. July the 19th is, is my wife and I's anniversary. We're going to celebrate 50 years. Uh, of marital bliss, amen, amen, 50 years, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be, uh, on the 19th, it'll be 50 going on 51, because we're always going on, and you better be too, you know, that's something else that, uh, that uh, I could preach on for a while, but uh, God's blessed in that, now we're going to Manitoba, uh, Brandon, Manitoba, and we're, we've uh, gathered some people together up there, they, uh, uh, they're meeting in homes right now, and uh, we're going to start, uh, uh, start a work there. Actually, we've organized a work, but a work uh, organizing it and establishing it is two different things. And so we're, we're going up there to uh, establish a work uh, for the Lord there. It'll be our fourth church. And uh, we're thankful for what God is doing. It's called New Hope Baptist Church, and you appreciate you praying for us. Uh, if you stand uh, out of respect to the Word of God, if you're able to, uh, Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, familiar passage out of Galatians chapter 6, says, uh, <clears throat> verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In this portion of Scripture, uh, we're given a lot, but let me uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, we pray that you take it, use it, the Scripture, in a, such a way that it touches our hearts. We need to be moved tonight, Lord. We need to be challenged tonight. And so, God, I pray that you challenge us for the task that is set before us. Uh, Lord, there's some things we need to get done. Because uh, time is passing. And Lord, if we don't get it done, we'll regret it one of these days when we stand before you. Because you've called us, Lord. And it, it's time for us to get things done. I pray that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A portion of Scripture says that we're sowers. It says, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth. Whether you realize or not, you're sowing something in your life. You're sowing it in, in the way that you live your life and what you do with your life and the direction you go with your life. I started out by saying that I hadn't made it 
uh, plain and simple that I was, uh, and public that I was going to go out into the ministry. And I can remember uh, being on the, in a bus ministry. I w- it wasn't that I wasn't serving God. I was serving God in my local church, and we were busy out uh, getting kids on the bus. Yeah, but I remember those days in the 70s. Uh, man, we had a great, uh, great time. We, we packed the buses so full. I had a 60-passenger bus. We got 70 kids or more on that bus. And we had them till they were hanging out the windows and everything. And I remember we pulled up in front of the church and we opened the door and people literally fell out on the sidewalk. I mean, they just, kaboom, there they were. And I said, get up, get up, make room for everybody to get out, you know. So everybody got out and we went into Sunday school. I led my first, first young person to Christ because uh, during the bus ministry because after uh, we keep one bus behind every Sunday for junior church. And that would, uh, we'd, uh, we'd preach to that busload of kids. And I got to preach to some kids. And four, four kids came forward and got saved uh, out of a sermon that I preached, which is an amazing thing. But God was confirming something for me. You're called. Now you need to get it done. And uh, I went forward. My wife and I, we went forward. And we got down on our knees on a Sunday morning. And uh, we made a commitment, a public commitment that God had called me and I was going to go forward for the ministry. Now, uh, God promises that if we sow, we'll reap. But we want to reap the right things. We want to reap those things that have to do with eternity. And man, I've seen some folks saved. Young people saved. Old people saved. We, we've had, I've had a, you know, when I was a young preacher, I attracted young couples. Can you imagine? Young couples like to hang around us, my wife and I, and they'd come around, and boy, I had a church filled with young couples. Didn't have many old folks, but I had some young couples. Now I'm older, and it's old folks that want to hang around me, you know? And uh, so I get all these old folks around me, and, and uh, but you know, I've had the joy of, of leading people that were in their 80s to the Lord, and seeing them get saved and baptized, and uh, boy, what a what a great joy it is to, to see that happen. But he promises a harvest. He says, be not weary in well-doing, uh, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Now go back to Genesis with me in 24, and I'll bring this together for us, and we'll uh, get done somewhere around midnight. And so uh, stick with me, and we'll get into this. I love preaching. I love being around preachers. I love to see churches started. Let me say this about, uh, uh, about warfare again, if I could. We just celebrated the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. And if you watched any of that on television, if you heard anything or read anything about it, you know that, uh, that something, a movement started that day. And when the troops went ashore on the beaches of Normandy and, and all along that, that area, Omaha Beach and all of them uh, along there, they established beachheads and they held the beach. How, what you didn't know, unless you, you're a history buff, you didn't know that the person that was responsible to keep the allies from landing at Normandy and coming ashore was a, a fellow by the name of Rommel, who was a, a, a general of, of, the, of, not, uh, of, of Hitler's army, and uh, he, uh, uh, he, he was responsible for that. The day before the invasion, he went home to see his wife in Berlin, was absent when the landing took place. Probably one of the deciding factors that helped our boys to get ashore 
not without cost, not without uh, sacrifice, but uh, he wasn't there when the, the invasion took place. And uh, by the time he got there, the panzer units that he had hoped to uh, deploy weren't there. And, uh, and we got ashore. And we got, uh, we got a foot hook, foot, uh, foothold on the, uh, on the continent there, and beaches were established. I'd like to challenge you tonight. Some of you young people, some of you old people, you be open to the call of God on your life. Don't you close off God because you're getting old. I'm 69 years old, and by God's grace, I'm going to go do it again. I'm going to go do it again. Why? Because it needs to be done, and the calling of God is still there. You won't find in the scriptures that God ever allows any Christian to retire from Christianity. You've got to keep on going. You've got to keep fighting. We've got to get some beachheads established. If, we would get, if I could speak to a college and I could challenge the young people to do anything, is if you feel called of God to start a work, then for God's sake, go out and establish a beachhead for God. Because that's what a church plan is. Uh, we're, we're out to change, uh, change the world by establishing a beachhead in an area. An area that is void, it's enemy territory, but it's void of anyone that, uh, that is willing to stand up and to take that area for God. And so we need to get out there, we need to get the job done. Uh, we need to take care of the task and realize that God's called us to this. This is not a time to sit back and to uh, go to sleep on God. It's a time to move forward and to get something established that will make a difference in the world to come. Amen? Oh, me. I get folks excited about hockey, get them excited about basketball, get them excited about baseball, get them excited about football, but you can't get them excited about going out and starting churches for God. Shame on us. We need to get at it. We need to keep at it. We need to be at it because it needs to get done. And uh, say, what's that got to do with the D-Day invasion? The, the Germans realized they realized, if we don't stop them on the beach, then they'll win. They'll win. Rommel told his men, you have got to stop them on the beach. If we don't stop them on the beach, we'll lose. And they, they were prepared for the invasion. The Americans were told, We've got to take the beach, because if we take the beach and we hold the beach, we'll hold the continent. We'll get the continent. We'll take it all over. A year after the landings, Berlin fell, and the war was ended in Europe. What I'm telling you is, is we've got to take the beaches. We've got to take the beaches. We've got to get out there and start new works and see, the, see God... Uh, do so. The title of the message tonight is, Let's Get It Done. Let's Get It Done. Look at Genesis chapter 24, and I want to give you a familiar story, and it's about procrastination. You ever procrastinate? You ever, uh, you, you ever know that you needed to do something, but you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off? Man, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're good at procrastinating. And, uh, and uh, you know, why do today what I can put off till tomorrow? I mean, uh, put it off, and then I put it off another day and another day. We read it here about uh, a man by the name of Abraham. He uh, should be known to all of us, and, uh, but 
begin reading with me. Follow along as I read in verse tw uh, chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, uh, actually, uh, chapter, chapter 24 and verse 1. And Abraham was old and, uh, and well stricken in age, and the, Lord, uh, 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 and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Uh, and Abraham said unto his elder, uh, eldest servant uh, of his house, uh, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, <coughs> thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, uh, the God of heaven, and uh, the God of earth, and that thou shalt, uh, thou shalt take, uh, take a wife unto, uh, shall, uh, take a wife unto uh, my son, uh, uh, shall not take a, a wife unto my son of the, of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. Uh, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife uh, unto my son Isaac. And uh, the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will, uh, uh, will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs uh, bring thy son again uh, unto the, to the land whence uh, uh, thou camest? And, he, and Abraham gives a warning. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. Don't you take him back home. Don't you take him back to my family. I want you to go to my family and get a wife for him. And I don't want you to take a wife of the, of the Canaanite women in whose land I dwell uh, for my son. But, uh, but, but don't you take him back there. The Lord God of heaven, then he explains why. Look at verse 7. The Lord God of heaven which uh, took me from my father's house and which uh, uh, spake unto me, uh, and that, uh, that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed uh, will I give this land. Uh, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife uh, unto my son from thence. Uh, and uh, if the, uh, the uh, woman be not willing to follow thee, uh, then thou shalt be clear uh, from uh, uh, this my oath, uh, only bring not my son thither again. And the servant uh, put his hand under the, the thigh of Abraham, uh, uh, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant took ten camels, or the camels of his master, and departed, for all of the goods of the master were in uh, his hand. And he arose, and he went to Mesopotamia, unto the city uh, of Nahor, uh, and he made uh, his camels to uh, kneel down without the city by, uh, by a well of water at the time of the evening, and even uh, the time that women uh, go out to draw water. Uh, and, uh, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and uh, show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city uh, come out uh, to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she, uh, uh, and she uh, shall say, Drink, and I will give thy uh, camels drink also. Let the same be she that, uh, that uh, thou hast appointed uh, for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking. I love the Lord, don't you? Before he had done speaking, 
that behold, Rebekah came out, uh, who was uh, born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with, his, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And uh, the damsel was very fair uh, to look upon, a virgin, and neither had uh, any man known her. And she uh, went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hastened and let down uh, her pitcher uh, upon her hand and uh, gave him drink. Uh, and when she had... Uh, done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have uh, done drinking. And she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again and, uh, uh, unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wandered and held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the, uh, the camels had done drinking, that uh, the man took the, uh, a golden earring of half a shekel weight and uh, two bracelets from, uh, uh, for her hands uh, of uh, uh, ten shekels weight of gold. And he said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us uh, to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of uh, Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She uh, said, moreover, uh, unto him, uh, we have both straw and poverty enough uh, and room to lodge in. And uh, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. I don't know about you, but this scripture grabs my heart because it teaches us something really great. And I want to get, get into it right now. And by saying this, God's work, uh, his greatest works are done by his children. As he, uh, as, as he puts into our hands the ability to, to move God to do great things in our lives. Folks, I'm, it, it, is, it, is, it is not yet been determined what this generation of people are going to do for God. But I, I can tell you this, that if we give ourselves over to God, we'll do great and mighty things that... Uh, because God will do it in and through our lives. He always uses people to accomplish his purpose because he uses something weak to uh, make it mighty so that when it happens, we recognize it wasn't us that did it, it was God that did it through us. And it's a, it's a great example of, of God's grace and his mercy. Uh, I want you to see uh, and understand the greatest works are done uh, when God's children get things done by faith. 
they believed God and they trust God. This servant believed God and he trusted God and he believed his master and he went out and he prayed and he saw God do great things. When I was in the military in, uh, in Vietnam, we used to fly in uh, helicopters. We'd fly into areas. I was straight leg infantry. That means that you'll walk most of your time. Most of the time you're out walking. But uh, when I, I could get a ride, I took it. Amen. Uh, it saved some shoe leather and, uh, and, uh, and sort of it gave us the strength to go on. But we'd fly into a jungle location and we'd land. And, and, uh, and when we'd get out there into, into the jungle, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, our commanders would get more orders. And then they would relay it down and fall down the chain of command. You know, it'd go from the, from the captain to the lieutenants and the, from the lieutenants to the, to the sergeants. And then the sergeants would come out and they'd speak to the rest of us about what we were supposed to do. And I can remember many times, they'd, uh, they'd lay out what we were gonna do. Uh, we were on search and destroy missions, and so we were gonna go out into the jungle, and we are gonna go down this trail, and we are gonna go up that, that mountain over there. We were constantly going up the sides of mountains and down the other side of them. And, and, uh, but they would uh, they'd say, now, we're gonna engage the enemy. We wanna kill as many of the enemy as we can and, and disrupt what's going on here in this area. And uh, so after they gave us all of the instructions of what we were to do and where we were to rendezvous and how we were to do it, then uh, the sergeant would uh, turn to the men and he would say, uh, say to us something like this, all right, guys, saddle up, let's get this thing done. There was not any discussion about whether we should do it. <laughs> it had already been decided by our commanders. It wasn't any discussion about whether this was uh, the, the best course, whether this was the day for this activity. No, we were there. Today's the day. Now's the time. And so we'd saddle up, say, I thought you said you were in the infantry. Did you have a horse? No, I didn't have a horse, but we were the horses. Well, we, were, we were grunts. And what we'd do is we'd reach down and we'd grab that big old rucksack that we carried on our back, and we'd throw it up on our backs. That was saddling up, and we'd head out to get it done. And we'd say, I'd say to the guys, let's get it done, guys. Let's go do it. I'd take point a lot of times, and I'd go off, and, and uh, we'd be headed up the trail. Uh, we're out in the jungle. You've got to understand, we had just weeks, months before, we'd just gotten into the country. We'd been back in the States. We didn't know what it was, and suddenly you're in the middle of the jungle fighting an enemy you can't see. But, but it had to be done. It had to be done. And so we'd saddle up and we'd get it done. Tonight I want to challenge you. Folks, there are things you've been putting off, but it's time to get it done. Some of you have been putting off salvation. You've been uh, convicted about the fact that you're not really sure you're saved. It's time to, to get it done. Get saved and be done with it. Get it over with. Why be in doubt about it? Get it settled. Some of, you, some of you have been harboring sin. There's, there's sin that's been bothering you. You know it's wrong, and it's, it's difficult, and, uh, and it, it's hard, to, uh, hard for you to function. Uh, things just aren't the way they used to be. Some of you had a lot of joy when you first got saved, and you've lost that joy. You need to get it back. The only way it's going to happen is if, if you determine to get it done. It's got to get done. You've got to say, God, I, I need to get it done. Now, I want you to see this portion of Scripture, and uh, I want you to understand getting things done brings satisfaction, and it brings reward. At the end of the day, when we were uh, set up in camp after we'd been on a, a mission and, and everything, there was a satisfaction in knowing, hey, we, we accomplished our mission. 
We, uh, we hit the beaches. We, uh, we took the enemy out. We did what we needed to do. And there was a satisfaction in knowing, hey, we got it done. We did what we were supposed to do. We accomplished the purpose to which God had, uh, had called us to. Man, I had to get some things done in my life. I remember when I had to propose this, this lady that's been married to me for almost 50 years. It scared me to death. I'd have rather taken on the VC all by myself, you know, than uh, have, to, have to go and, uh, uh, and talking to her dad was really something. He made me sweat, I mean, to tell you. And, and I had the joy of making a couple other fellas sweat in my time, too, you know, when they came for my daughters. But uh, put them through it, you know, it was getting even then, you know, I was, I was doing that. But, the, uh, uh, but I had to get it done. And I finally asked her, I said, will you marry me? She said, no. She says, now? And I said, yeah, well, I said, will you marry me? She said, no. And, and then she saw me sweating, because I just put a lot of money into a ring. And she said, no? I mean, really? You know? And uh, she, uh, she said, are you serious? And I said, yes, I'm serious. And uh, she said, well, yes, I'll marry you. Well, that took the pressure off, you know. And I went out to the car and got the ring, and and uh, uh, I didn't slip it on her finger like they do on television. They always fit. You know, these guys promote, you know, propose and the ring always fit. And I always wonder, how did they know? How did they know how to do, you know, what size the ring did? Man, I had to push and push and push. <laughs> Finally, I got the thing on. When I got it on there, I didn't think she'd ever get it off. You know, it was one of those things. It would push that thing on there. But I pushed it on there and everything. She went around, twinkled it. Her sister fell off the couch. And... Her mom and dad were grinning all over the place, but it was a great thing to get that done because that determined part of the course of my life. Did you know that? There are things that are waiting to be done in your life that can't be done until you get it done and then move on to the next thing. Uh, this, uh, the, the Bible says, Paul says this, he said, brethren, I count not myself uh, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not done yet. He says, there are things I need to get done, and I'm going to do it. He would say at the end of his life, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous God, uh, uh, judge shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. I'm telling you, I want one of those crowns. I want to get it done. I want to stay faithful unto God. I don't want to rust out. I want to burn out for God. I want to finish my course. I want to keep the faith, because there's a day in which we live in which many are giving up their faith. For a watered-down, poor excuse of what's called Christianity today. Many circles. Uh, I want you to see the reason for the task here in this portion of Scripture. Say, what was the reason for the task? Well, we're given to it, given it uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 24. And Abraham was old. Time matters, folks. Time matters. Time really matters. I said to the folks there in Manitoba, they're meeting in homes right now. They don't even have a place to meet. Meeting in homes. And they said, we need you to come. And I said, you don't want me to come. I tried to get out of it. I tried to find somebody else that was younger for them. 
They said, we don't want somebody younger. We want you. And God began to work on my heart. And uh, I had uh, Brother Drew that I'm training for the ministry. And he's wanting to take the pastorate there. And he feels called of God to do that. And then I'm there. And that gives them two preachers. And uh, the folks up in Canada don't have anybody. And so uh, after Christmas, I decided that uh, God wanted me to go. He wanted me to go there. But I said to the people, I said, you got to understand, I have a time stamp on me. I don't live forever, not in this life. Uh, and incidentally, you don't either. Some of you that are young, you, you're looking at it and say, well, i got the rest of my life. That could be just ours. None of us, none of us are promised another day, much less a lifetime. A lifetime. And the truth of the matter is, is uh, Abraham's time was running out. See, time matters. Time matters. No one lives forever. Time called on Abraham to act. It called on Abraham to act. Uh, you have to understand something. Abraham, <coughs> Abraham knew something that uh, nobody else really knew. Remember, the Bible hadn't been written yet, so the Old Testament hadn't been written yet, and nobody else knew about this, uh, really, than Abraham and, and uh, Sarah. Sarah was gone now. She had died, and uh, Abraham's getting old. But Abraham had been told by God, get thee out of the land, and unto a land that I will show ye the, thereafter. He's going to relate that to the servant. But he said, uh, uh, but God said more to him than just that. So what do you mean? He, he said to him, he said, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, raise up a nation out of, of, of you, Abraham. You're going to be the father of a nation, a nation of people. And uh, you're uh, actually nations of people. He says, you're going to have, have a, 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 a children. You're going to have children that are going to grow up, and uh, they're going to become a mighty nation. And uh, Abraham said, now, how can that be, God? Because Sarah's old and I'm old and uh, we're past the, uh, the childbearing stage. And how in the world can a nation come forth from our loins? It's an impossibility. I want you to understand something. God deals with the realms of impossibility. And uh, our excuses uh, really pale when it comes down to the power of God. Because God can do anything. Anything. Anything but fail. He never fails. And, uh, but, but Abraham had procrastinated. He let this thing go on and on and on. And uh, I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe God uh, uh, had a meeting with him. And he said, how long are you going to put this off? You're going to be an old timer. You know, you're, you're, you're getting to, uh, to the last of things. And, and how long are you going to put this off? You see, if you don't get a bride for your son, Isaac, then he's not going to have any children. And if he doesn't have any children, they're not going to have any children. And they're children's children. How many, uh, my Marine Corps buddy back here, how many, how many uh, died on the beaches of, of Normandy? 50-some? No, it, no, I'm talking about Normandy itself. On the beaches, there was a... 10,000? Par, 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 10, 
whatever there was, I, I want you to understand, I don't know that any women died. No offense, ladies. But in that day, we had some gumption in this country, and we didn't let women go out and fight the battles. The men went out and fought the battles. Uh, not because the women couldn't fight the battles. Man, I've seen some battles fought, uh, believe me. But because, because <laughs> in... <laughs> Because in our society, men protected women and children. Okay? But, but you think about it for a minute. If there were, were 10,000, if there were 5,000, whatever there was, and you figure that all of them were men, if all of those men would have lived and had families, and you had, let's say, 5,000 uh, uh, men that went to the beaches of Normandy and died on the beaches, They'd all lived, and all of them would have uh, uh, come home and had a family, and each family would have had a minimum of three children. 5,000 would have turned into 15,000. And that 15,000, that 15,000 would have doubled and tripled itself again and again and again. But we lost on Normandy. We lost that whole generation of people, we lost them. They died so that we could hold the beaches, so that we could win a war, so that we could stop the oppression of Nazi Germany. You think of the sacrifice that was, was going on and uh, the things that were happening. Well, I want you to understand, Abraham's facing a crisis because if he doesn't get a wife for his son, there are going to be generations that are not going to be born. Generations that are not going to be born. A nation will not be established. But he has to make the difference. He's got to get it done. See, God's not going to do it for him. God's, God's going to help him get it done, you understand? But he's going to have to put forth the effort. And that's what you see here in this portion of Scripture. Procrastination you can't procrastinate. You've got to get the job done. Now, if you read on, and, and uh, I, I want you to under, uh, understand something, and it's, you are the someone that is needed to get uh, the lost to God. You are the one that, that the, the someone is needed in order to uh, see souls saved. You're the, I mean, it isn't going to happen unless we get it done. Uh, there was a... <coughs> Uh, back years ago, there was a, a man up in Canada that I met when I, when I first went up and, uh, and started a church, and his name was Max Miller. Max Miller means nothing to you, but he was, he was a good friend of mine. And he's in heaven right now, and his wife, uh, uh, her name was Muriel, and uh, so it was Max and Muriel. We used to call them M&M, because where you saw one, you saw the other, and the two of them, M&M, Max and Muriel, they were always together. And they loved the Lord. He'd been saved for 50 years at the time, and he was a great mentor to me. He was a deacon in another Baptist church, and I was starting a Baptist church there in Ottawa. And boy, they, they uh, sacrificed and helped us and encouraged us as we were doing that along the way. But uh, he told me, he said, uh, you know how I got saved? I always listen when people tell me about how they got saved, because how they got saved is important. How you got saved is important. He said, I was working at the power company in downtown Ottawa, and he said, uh, uh, the, uh, 
there's this guy that was a Christian, and he kept after me to come out to services, come out to services. And they were having a big tent revival there in Ottawa, and he kept wanting me to come down to the revival. And he said, finally, I said, I'll go down on Thursday night. And Thursday night, I went down, and I went into the tent, and I sat on the right side of the, of the, uh, of the tent, about uh, uh, near the, the back of the tent. And he says, and, and an old leather-lunged uh, uh, evangelist got up, and he preached the gospel. It was the first time I'd ever heard that clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, as he preached the gospel uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, I got convicted when the invitation was, was given. I got up out of my seat and I came down the old sawdust trail and came down, got on my knees there in that sawdust and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he said, he saved me and I've been saved for 50 years, praise God. And I'm thankful for that. Max was a hero to me, you know, he's just a faithful man. He, uh, the, the Bible oozed out of him. You know, he's around the guy that you're around the guy that just quoted scripture all the time, and he he had a, a mean-looking face, but he had a heart of gold. You know, he was just a, a faithful man of God. Well, he got sick. He got real sick, and uh, he got uh, he got cancer. Before he got cancer, he uh, he told me he says, you know, we look at death wrong. He says to us, death is such a terrible thing. For God, he said, I think God thinks it, it's just like moving. He said, I've lived in this house, uh, Brother Verl, he said, I've lived in this house uh, nearly all, well, all of our married life, Muriel and I have lived here in one house. And uh, he said, but I, I, I look at death as sort of like moving. You know, you go in and you start pulling furniture out and you put it out on the truck. And he says, you keep going in and taking stuff out and putting it on the truck and putting it on the truck. Finally, you come in and the house is sort of hollow, sort of echoey. You take one last look around and you close the door and you step out and move into a new house. He said, that's the way I think God looks at death. Well, when he got cancer and uh, it was bad, I remember to go, going to see him in the hospital and he'd had some surgery and things and he began to cry and, and uh, he said, son, I don't think, he used to call me son because never had a son. Had two daughters but never had a son. He called me son. He says, son, I don't think I'm going to be around much longer. And I said, Max, do you remember what you told me about death? And it stopped him, dead in his tracks, as he remembered what he had told me. I said, you said God looks at death different. And he looked at me and he says, son, when I told you that, I was down the hall and around the corner from death. But now I'm looking at the door. It's different now. Funny how, funny how things change as time goes on. I said, oh, Max, God's going to take care of you. He lost his memory. One day as, uh, he was in the hospital and his family called me and he said, uh, Pastor, would you come? He said, uh, Max uh, woke up this morning and, and he, he doesn't remember his wife, he doesn't remember his daughters. And uh, worst of all, he woke up this morning and he asked us, how long have I been blind? He can't see. So I went down to the hospital room, and when I walked in, the family was all gathered around. Max was laying there, and, and uh, they said, oh, look who's here. And he moved his head like uh, he was trying to look, but he couldn't see. He said, who's here? I said, well, it's me, Max. It's, uh, it's uh, Verl, Verl Stoniker, pastor over at uh, Bible Baptist Church. And... Uh, he turned his head like he was trying to remember. And he said, well, 
He said, I'm sorry, uh, Pastor, but I don't remember you. And I said, well, Max, you used to call me son. He thought for a moment, and he said, well, then you must be awfully important to me. And I said, uh, one of the family, why don't you folks go get something to eat, and I'll stay with Max for a little while. And I sat by his side, and I said, could I read the scriptures to you? And he said, sure, you can read the scriptures. And so I began to read the Bible to him. And uh, remember, this is a man who's lost his memory. He's, uh, he's got cancer. He's, uh, he's blind. Uh, he doesn't even recognize his wife or remember uh, who she is. He you know, can't see her, doesn't even know uh, her voice or anything else. I mean, he's lost a lot of things. But one thing he didn't lose is he didn't lose his Christianity. I want you to understand something. They'd come in to roll him over, and they'd shoot me out of the room so they could turn him over. And I listened to him. He was in pain. And he'd say, oh, oh, thank you, dear. Thank you for helping me today. Oh, that hurts so bad, but, but thank you for turning me over. Thank you uh, for, for helping me nurse. And he, you, you see, you could take, take the life away from a person, but you can't take Christ away from a person because he comes to you and dwell, and he's there forever. I'm going to tell you, so I went back in, I was reading the scriptures, and he stopped me, he said, something's wrong. I said, what do you mean something's wrong? He says, you're, you're, you're reading the scriptures, but something's wrong. I said, well, what's wrong is, is Max, you're my friend, and I love you. And I said, uh, you're dying of cancer. And I said, uh, I just hate that. And I said, you've been such a good Christian. And he said, oh, don't say that. And he began to cry. He said, don't say that. And I said, but you've been faithful. Oh, please don't say that. And I said, what's the matter? And he turned his head away from me, and he said this. I don't remember getting saved. And I said, Max, I remember how you got saved. And his head jerked around, and he looked towards me, though he couldn't see me. He said, you remember? I said, sure, you told me a hundred times. And I'm so glad I listened because I gave back to him a reason, a reason to rejoice. The tears were running down the side of his face when I finished telling him about how he had gotten saved in that old tent revival meeting, how he'd come down the aisle and, and got down in the sawdust on his knees and trusted Jesus Christ. When I finished telling the story, he said, thank you, son, thank you. It's like God gave him back. He died just a week later, and I preached his funeral. And I'll see him one of these days. Preached his wife's funeral the next year, almost to the day that her husband died. I preached Muriel's funeral. But I said all that to say this. You see, somebody, somebody, I never knew his name, but somebody got it done for Max and invited him out to that revival meeting. They got it done. Some of you have got somebody that's been on your heart for some time, but you've not witnessed to them, you've not gone to them, you've not invited them out, you've not taken the gospel, you've not come and sat down with them and said, all right, I need to get this done. I need to get this off my chest. I need to get this taken care of. Abraham was old, and, uh, and it, time matters. Abraham called his servant because everybody needs somebody else. 
You see, Max didn't get saved on his own. Somebody invited him. Somebody brought him there. Somebody got him to the tent meeting. Somebody cared for his soul. I mean, we've, we've got to take the time that we've got left. Abraham commissioned uh, that uh, and, and commanded his servant uh, to follow uh, uh, after what he believed God wanted him to do. And he took an oath of him. And, he, and, he, and in that oath, he got him to promise several things. One, you won't take a son of the Canaanites. It's important, young people, who you marry. It's important what decisions you make concerning anything. Marriage, next to salvation, marriage is probably the most important decision uh, that you'll ever make next to salvation is uh, who you marry in life. And I don't care how good looking he is. I don't care uh, how good looking she is. Uh, it's, it's does God want this person in my life? Do I want, uh, does God want me a part of this union? Because it is a union. Uh, when my wife and I got married, yeah, she was a pretty young lady. She's still pretty to me. And uh, I tell her every day, you're beautiful. She says, oh, you can't see anymore. I said, no. What'd you say? I know I can't hear either. But uh, yeah, just a, a, lot of, a lot of things uh, don't work like they used to. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad I got that done. I'm glad that uh, somebody got that done for Max because he became my friend and, and encouraged me during that period of time. The servant would get it done for Abraham. The servant would, would get it done for Abraham because everybody need somebody, somebody that will, uh, will go out and get it done. He went to his kindred, and uh, he said, you go to my kindred, and you get a wife, but don't take my son there. The servant then went, and he did. Now, the ser servant had been warned, and he went, and I want to bring this to a, to a close real soon by, by just saying this, that the journey that he took, he, uh, he, he saddled up his camels, and away they went. And uh, we're not told how long it, it took to get there, but uh, he had a plan. And when he got there, he says, uh, I've got to know something, Lord. i got to know. And he prayed that prayer, and it's, it's a beautiful prayer because he's asking God to do something in a, in a specific way so that he'll know that this is the right person. Don't you and I, don't, don't we, want, I, I don't want to halfway do something for God. I want to do it God's way, Amen. I mean, this, this is something you bathe in prayer and you say, God, I, I, you know, uh, it's not that I need you to do this so that I can be convinced that you're there. The servant knew God. Uh, otherwise, you know what they think of you when you talk to somebody who you don't know? They think you're loony, you know? But this servant had been reached, uh, reached God through the faith of Abraham. And now he's got a personal relationship with God. He wasn't asking God to prove himself to him. He, what he was asking God, he said, Lord, I, I want to make the right decision. I want to know this is the person for my master's son. And so he prayed and asked specific things. It wasn't, God bless all the women in the world. Uh, no, it was God Show me the woman that's for my master's son. It's not a bad thing for fathers to be praying for their kids. Say, God, bring the right person. Oh, God, help us to know when that person is the right person. My girls used to come to me, and guys would show up, and 
And then they'd come to me and say, Dad, get rid of him. And I said, get rid of him? He said, get rid of him. I said, okay. So I'd get, I'd get rid of him. Amen. Then the next guy come along. You know, they said, Dad, get rid of him too. And so I get rid of him. And uh, they kept getting rid of guys, you know, telling me to get rid of them. So I was getting rid of them. And I said, Listen, the backyard's filling up, girls. You're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to make up your mind somewhere along the line, you know. So it's a, it's a serious business, amen. I mean, it really is. But, uh, the day came that God answered his prayer. And he's sort of dumbfounded. He's standing there. To wit, the way the King James says it, you know, whether God had made his journey successful. I mean, really? You just prayed, and it's happening. Before the words are out of your mouth, it's happening just exactly like you uh, planned it to be that way, and you prayed it that way. And so, so I'm giving it to you that way so that you'll know and you'll be assured. He goes and shares that again and again with the family and everybody else, and everybody else says, well, it's obviously of the Lord. And uh, she decides to go with him and to go back to the land. Uh, it, was, uh, it was God was at work. God was going to accomplish this task. And uh, he was going to take care of this because these men, Abraham and his servant, and others that were involved in this, they got it done for God. They're doing it for God. They're not doing it for their own uh, good, not for themselves, but uh, for the purpose of God. Abraham wanted a, a bride for his, uh, for his son because uh, God had promised him a nation that would be born of him. And in order for that to happen, there has to be one plus one equals three. Say, Whose math do you have? God's math. You put, a, you put a man and a woman together and you got a child. And then a child after that. In fact, uh, uh, Isaac would have a, a set of twins. He, or his wife would, Rebecca, would have a set of twins. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful blessing it was. But I want you to see, and I want to bring this to a close. Look at verse 61. The meeting here. It's, it's all settled. She decides, yes, I'll go. And... Uh, in verse uh, uh, chapter 24 and uh, verse 60, uh, uh, what did I tell you, 60, 61. Look at verse 61 with me just for a minute. And it says, and Isaac, uh, it says 61, and Rebekah rose and, uh, and her damsels, uh, and they, uh, they rode upon the camels and followed the man. The, I like it, the man. They followed the man and uh, the servant here. And, uh, and the servant took Rebekah and, uh, and went his way. And Isaac came, uh, came from, the, from the way of the, of the well of uh, Lahora, uh, for he, uh, he dwelt uh, in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate uh, in the field at eventime. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her uh, eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she uh, lighted off the camel, and uh, for she uh, had said unto, uh, unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field uh, to meet us? And the servant said, uh, uh, had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and uh, covered herself. And the servants told, the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. 
he again told him the whole story and what God had done and how it had, it had happened. And Isaac brought her into his mother's, Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now I want you to understand something. It's a good thing they got it done. Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would be born of the lineage of Abraham. He would be born out of the lineage of Abraham. Jesus would give testimony concerning Abraham, and he said, Abraham, your father saw my day and rejoiced in it. He rejoiced in it. All of that was accomplished because they got it done. Let me ask you tonight, what do you need to get done for God? You might not think it's important, but God does. God does. Some of you need to get something done about making a decision. Maybe you need to make the decision I made. Say, I've been toying with this, I've been talking about this, but I know God's calling me. God's calling you. You need to make a public profession of the fact that God's, get it nailed down, get it done, get it done. Some of you need to get, get the, the doubt and fear out of your life and, and, <coughs> and start living a life that is worth living. And it's worth living when you know you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. I know I'm saved. I've been saved for 60 years. By the grace of God, he saved me when I was nine years old. And I've never gotten over it, never will get over it. And looking forward to praising God for all eternity for what he's done. But I'm telling you something. It began with the first step. I had to make a public profession of my faith. I had to present myself for baptism. Some of you need to get that done. Some of you need to get it taken care of in your life. Some of you are harboring feelings, feelings that you have uh, that, uh, that you ought not to have. You need to get it taken care of. Say, how do I get it taken care of, preacher? You bring it to God, get it under the blood. Ask God to forgive you. You need to get it done. Say, oh, I can do that in my seat. You know what doing it in your seat does? Nothing. Nothing. You mark it back. You go back and you, you run it through the Bible. Every decision, every decision that, that uh, a person makes that amounts to anything is always done publicly. I mean, you don't anoint a king in secret. It's done publicly. David was anointed before his brethren before his brethren to be king. I mean, uh, you, you go down the line of people. People make professions of faith. If thou shalt believe in thine heart the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with thy mouth that, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God is saved. Uh, I'll get it out in a minute. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit tired tonight. But let me say this. I want to get it done. If thou shalt Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I got it done, didn't I? I got it done. Because it needed. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For, who shall, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. 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 He, we need to get it done need to get it done, get it taken care of. 
What do you have to get done tonight? What is it that's left undone? Quit procrastinating. Let's get it done. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed.